You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Podcast. Find out more about Northside by visiting us online at northsideweb.org. Good morning, Northside. And again, I say rejoice. You know, that is the message of the book of Philippians, and we're going to start a four-week series on Philippians. Philippians is four chapters long, so if you're good in math, you'll figure out we got to do one chapter a day. So I'm going to cover a lot of that chapter uh, out of first, uh, or Philippians chapter one today, and it talks all about joy. And you just saw a good synopsis of what the entire book is all about, about joy. So we're going to talk about joy. How many of us would like to have more joy than what we have. I would hope that'd be 100%. I would hope that most of us are already filled with joy, but I would also think that, man, I would just, I could take a little bit more joy, and I think that would be wonderful. How do you get more joy? How? We're going to talk about that today because I think chapter one really lays the foundation for how do you get more joy. I think one of the reasons why we don't have joy in America is because we kind of focus on the wrong thing. We focus on things that we think will make us happy, and then somewhere along the line we realize that, okay, that's really not making us happy. I read this last week of a young couple that bought a new house, or new to them, in Upper Maine, and they bought it from two elderly sisters. And the wife was a little concerned. You know, it gets cold here in Maine, uh, and I don't think that house is very well insulated. And the husband, pretty confident, he says, ah, don't worry. If they lived here for 30 years, we can, we can live here. We'd be all right. Well, that first winter got really cold, and it dipped way below zero. And that young couple woke up the next morning, and there was frost not only on the inside of the windows. There was frost in the inside of the walls. And so the husband called those two elderly ladies, and he said, uh, uh, you know, didn't know. And, and after just a few moments on the phone, he hung up, and he turned to his wife and says, you know how they kept warm? They went to Florida every year for the last 30 years. <laughs> and sometimes what we, what we think we want is going to bring us joy. It doesn't kind of bring us joy. And, um, and that's what we want to talk about today, because sometimes I think the, the focus is wrong. We live in a world, in a land that is severely deficient in joy, and it doesn't matter all of our technology and the intelligence that we have, people just still don't have joy like they should. Uh, Owen Hansen, he contends it's because we don't have much of a civilization. Look at what he says. After thousands of years, Western civilization has advanced to where we bolt our doors and windows at night while jungle natives sleep in open huts. We live in a country where there are metal detectors as you go into schools and courthouses that just demonstrate visible witness to the fear and the anguish that people feel. So we're going to talk a little bit about joy. The background of this book of Philippians that you've seen on the screen, the Apostle Paul wrote uh, this book to the church in Philippi. Uh, He established this church. He wrote it in 62 AD. He established that church about 11 years earlier on his second missionary journey. And as he would establish a church and get it under the the, uh, effective leadership of elders, then he would go on and he would start another church. But he, uh, he knew these people well. He missed them. Uh, he longed to see them again. So he's writing kind of like a thank you letter back to the church in, um, in Philippi. And he wanted to encourage them to be united in Christ because that's really where you're going to find your joy. Uh, the word joy is found 19 times in Philippians in four chapters. Well, joy or words that are associated with joy. Joy, rejoicing, um, rejoice, gladness, some of those words, 19 times. 
And really, there's no reason for the Apostle Paul to be filled with that kind of joy in a way because he's in prison. He's, fa- he's facing possible behead, uh, being beheaded. Um, and yet, he has this state of mind that he has this contentment and he has joy. Now, how in the world can a human being have joy under those kind of circumstances when things aren't, aren't going, going so well? Um, nobody wants to live like that. We all kind of want to be pampered and, and, and not live under those horrible situations. But in the midst of that, he still has joy. How? I think it's because he focused on Christ. And, and, and in thinking that, I thought of, maybe some of you remember, several years ago, there was a thing called the magic eye. And they, they were, mostly they were posters, and they were pictures that when you would stare at them, and in fact, I, I took a, 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 put one up on the screen here today, that you would look at that, and as you would stare, and your eyes would kind of go out of focus a little bit or something, or something, I don't know what it was, you would see this picture that's hidden inside there just kind of emerge as a 3D picture. Now, I have to confess, I tried and I tried and I tried and I just couldn't, I couldn't see anything in there, all those pictures. And by the way, that picture, I Googled magic eye Jesus, right? So I can be spiritual this morning. So maybe you can see Jesus in there. I don't know what you can see. I, I couldn't see Jesus. I saw bacon. Uh, you, <laughs> I, I saw Sunday dinner, steak, and baked potato. No, uh, so, but I couldn't see Jesus. I couldn't see. I don't know what's in there. I don't even know if there's a picture in there. And you couldn't ever tell by me. I couldn't see it. But, but here's, here's the problem that I think a lot of people don't have joy is that's life to them. And they just see life. And, and sometimes they see all their problems. And, and there may be a picture inside of there. They may, there may be Jesus Christ and there may be joy, but we just don't see it. And, and then maybe we just kind of look and focus on the wrong thing and we don't see the thing that is really, really hidden in that. The trouble is, I think a lot of us, we're fixated on life, we're fixated on our problems, we're fixated on our worry, we're fixated on our anxiety, we're fixated on our doubts, we're fixated on our jobs, all kinds of things. And because we're fixated on the wrong thing, we don't really see the joy that really ought to be inside of our heart. And, and so maybe it's the fact that we're not focusing on the right thing. In fact, the book, book of uh, Hebrews, the Hebrew writer says that we ought to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. So, so focus on Jesus Christ, and that becomes then the key to having this joy in our life. It's, it's what our mind focuses on. In fact, if you look at the book of Philippians and you study it, the word mind is used several times in four chapters. Uh, ten times the word mind, think is used five times. There's 16 references kind of to the word mind. So really, the secret of having joy in your life is what your mind is focused on. Um, Now, the Bible tells us that a long, long time ago. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, chapter 23 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So in other words, what you think then begins to develop who you are. And as we're thinking about this joy, this first chapter talks a lot about being thankful, being thankful for things. We're going to go through that here in just a few moments. And I was thinking about that this last week, and I thought about our children's prayers, the the prayers that we parents teach our children and we teach our grandchildren. And you think about those prayers. Uh, They are prayers like, dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for mommy and daddy. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for grandma and grandpa. Thank you that we get to spend all night with grandma and grandpa. Thank you for this food. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I got to thinking after days and weeks and months of that, 
we are training our children to think about things they ought to be thankful for rather than things that they ought to be critical for. And, and why do we lose that as, as, as adults? But we do. So, so you think about that. As you're teaching your children and your grandchildren to pray, you are training them to focus on what is the right thing because that's part of what brings him joy in his life. The secret of joy is found in the way that we think. Uh, let me give you another illustration. This last week, they, uh, it, it marked the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz, um, the German uh, Nazi death camp's liberation. 200 survivors of that death camp came together to mark the 75th anniversary. On January 27th, 1945, that camp was liberated by the Soviet army. Most of the estimated 1.1 million people that were murdered, almost a million of them were Jews, then Poles, Romans, and uh, Russians were among the victims. If we held a minute of silence for every victim of the Holocaust, we would be silent for 11 years. It's staggering to even think about. Now, if you were in that Nazi death camp, and so many people were marched into the gas chambers or executed, what would your mind be? What would your attitude be? There was a man in that death camp by the name of Dr. Viktor Frankl. He was a German psychiatrist and philosopher. He, sur he survived three years in that death camp. And this is what he wrote. We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way, the freedom to choose your attitude regardless of whatever circumstances. It may be the last of human freedoms, but it's probably one of the most important. It's certainly not the least. That regardless of how bad the conditions are, we, have a, we still, they cannot take that away from us. Maybe as Christians, it ought to be kind of something because of what we know. We looked at this scripture last week, James chapter 1, considered to have an attitude of pure joy. Isn't that what we want? An attitude of pure joy? My brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, that's bad circumstances. Because why? You know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So the conditions weren't so good for Paul. Uh, he was in prison. Uh, and, uh, you know, circumstances sometimes rob us of our joy. Um, uh, sometimes, you know, you ask people, how you doing? You know what they say? Well, I'm okay, what? Under the circumstances. And I always remember what John Maxwell always said. He said, well, what are you doing under the circumstances? We all have circumstances. And do we want to be under them? Do we want to be on top of them in some way or another? Um, there are so many circumstances that are beyond our control. The weather, the outcome of the Super Bowl, whether or not the Browns are going to make it to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Okay, we know that's not going to happen. Uh, what people do, 
what people say. We don't have any control over that. And what people do and say sometimes makes us unhappy. Maybe some of those people you work with. And there's nothing you can do about some of those things. And so there's so many things that are out of our control, but people stress over those things, and it it robs them of their joy. So maybe you've seen that old quote that says, your attitude will determine your altitude. Whatever your attitude is, that's going to determine how high you're going to rise in life. And so let's talk about that just a little bit. In chapter 1, he is thankful for some things that just might surprise you. Here's the first thing he's thankful for. He is thankful for their partnership in the gospel. Um, uh, when he's writing to this. Uh, Philippians, let's look at verses 3 through 6. It reveals his purpose. I thank my God every time I remember you. Let me just stop there and say that might be the first little hint. The Apostle Paul in prison, circumstances are not good. He is not thinking about himself. He's not wallowing in pity. Who's he thinking about? He's thinking about other people. And so some of our joy is going to relate to the fact that whether we're thinking about ourselves or whether we're thinking about other people. He says, I think every time I, I, I think of you, I, I remember you. Um, in all my prayers, verse 4, for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so the, the main idea here is, Christ is the one that's going to give us true joy. And even though he's separated from them and he's in prison, they are united together and he is thankful for the partnership that they have. Paul knew that he could not, even with the power and the hope and the help of the Holy Spirit, he couldn't do it all himself. It was going to take a joint effort. That is true of our church as well. It takes all of us working together, whether it is a, a mission trip or whether it's a church on Sunday morning when we have teachers that are teaching children or people working in the parking lot or, or, or hundreds and hundreds of things that need to be done. It is a partnership. And he says, every time I think of you, I, I think of you with joy. This, uh, you, you know, when you get to know somebody and you have that bond in Christ, there is a closer relationship. And I think about my relationship with you. I have had a, a personal relationship with this church for 36 years. And so I, like the Apostle Paul, I understand that God made us a family, that we are partners, that we work together in this. Um, and, and so my desire, would like, like Paul's desire, is that we be united in Christ, that we serve together and we serve for the long haul because God makes us a family to accomplish great things for God's kingdom here on this earth. By the way, the Greek word for partnership is a word that you may have heard before. It is the Greek word koinonia. Sometimes it's translated fellowship, but it's something that is extremely important. It means partnership, and it's something that the first church was absolutely committed to. Look at uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves. In other words, they were completely committed to this, even to the risk of their own lives in that first church. They were committed to the apostles' teaching. That's the Bible. That's preaching and teaching. They were committed to fellowship. That is the Greek word koinonia. They were committed to that partnership together, to the breaking of bread. That's communion and to prayer. Now, so in other words, what he's saying is when you're a part of the church, it is a partnership and it is impossible to be not engaged in the church if you're truly going to be a partner. And yet, kind of in America, that's kind of what it's like. It's like, oh, people just go to church on Sunday, and that's kind of the extent of their, their religion, and they just listen to a preacher and think, okay, that's good. And that is not really what Jesus Christ had in, in mind. He, he brings us together for a partnership that we all work together. Um, and and when, when we are not engaged, 
then, then we're not really being a part of the church. That's why we try to push not only fellowship, but we try to push our small groups and try to push Bible studies and some of those things because we want people engaged. We want them serving. We want them growing in Christ because that is not only good for you, it is good for the church and the body of Christ as we serve. So we, we understand that. And, and uh, so we ought to be here when we're here. And statistics say in our world today, people are going to church less and less and less. And so they know the gospel less. They know Jesus Christ less. They know doctrine less. Uh, we just finished a, a series of sermons on God didn't say that. God never said that. And you'd be surprised how many people believe things that are not in the scriptures at all. And it's like they don't know. They just believe that. It's like, well, study the scriptures. That's where, that's where it comes from. Uh, and so, so we ought to be here. When we can. Now, and that doesn't mean people that are homebound because they're sick and medical conditions, they can't get out of the house. We, we certainly understand that. But I remember when I preached in a little church in Kentucky, it's probably almost 40 years ago, and this, this little old man, he, would, he was there every time the doors were open. And the thing about this guy is he could hardly see and he couldn't hardly hear anything. And one day somebody says, hey, why do you even come? You can't hardly see anything and you can't hardly hear anything. Why do you bother to come to church? And he says, because I want people to know whose side I'm on. Well, I want you guys to know what side we're on as well. Look at the next few verses. Verse 7 says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And that's what happens when you're united in Christ. You become a partnership. And I believe that's partnership for life, that, that when we, we work and we serve together. Verse 9 goes on to say, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and what may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, that is a great prayer. Paul is praying that they just continue to grow, that they're pure and blameless and grow in righteousness, just all those wonderful things. And that's why I would certainly hope for all of us and all of our church here that we grow in that regard. So, number one, his joy, I am thankful for a partnership because we're not in this all by ourselves. We're in it together. Here's number two. I am thankful for, oh, get this and it'll blow you away. I'm thankful for prison. Oh, this is where it gets hard. How many of us would really be thankful for being in prison when our circumstances are not very good? But that's what he's thankful for. Look at the next few verses, beginning verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone that I am in chains for Christ. In other words, he's in prison because of Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more uh, to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, the Apostle Paul's in prison. He wanted to go to Rome as a preacher. He went to Rome as a prisoner. Some people would probably look, you know, this guy's a failure. Uh, he didn't accomplish what he wanted. But, but Paul doesn't see it that way. Paul sees it as God is using this to advance the gospel. Because his life was about Jesus Christ. His life was about promoting that. And, and nothing could stop that. And he says, so really, not the fact that he was in prison, but because it advanced the gospel is what he's saying here. So uh, he shows intentional joy because he is thankful even when he is in chains. And the, and the truth is, uh, sometimes there's people in this world that are in chains and in prison. I, I read a lot through, through the week of, of some of our 
Christian brothers and sisters that are beheaded in other countries over there in Muslim countries and, and things that are going through severe persecution. And it's like we don't have some of that there. We may be ridiculed or we may be uh, judged or something like that, but, but not the pure persecution that's there. But in other ways, some of us are in prisons. We're in prisons uh, with sin. Some of us have sin that we just can't hardly get rid of. Um, And we're not alone. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, he struggled with that. Romans chapter 7 says, every time I want to do good, I struggle with that, and I I don't do what I want to do. And he's back and forth. So he never truly was really kind of ever overcame some of those kind of things. So in a way, we're in prison like that too when we have sins that we just can't seem to overcome. Some of us are in prison of our shame and our guilt because of things that we have done in our past, uh, or regret, and that we're bound in some ways. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 15. It is true that some people preach out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what's that matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of that, I rejoice. Now, really look at that paragraph. You know what he's saying? He's saying there's some other preachers out there that are jealous and they're happy that I'm in prison. And so some of them are preaching out of selfish ambition, envy. Envy is jealousy. He says they're preaching to stir up trouble for me. And so, you know, there, there is a lot of competition in America today with preachers and, you know, their church is bigger than somebody else's church or they're trying to steal sheep to go over somewhere else and, and, and there's rivalry and jealousy and, and sometimes preachers have a real hard time with that. And Paul says, you know, I don't care. I don't care if they're preaching with good motives or selfish motives as long as Jesus Christ is preached. And, and, and he says, for that, I rejoice. That's kind of a hard thing because all of us have that part of our ego that's like, you know, we want to be the best and we want to this and we want to that. And, and it's like, you know, that's what's happening here. There's a lot of competitions there. But, but the truth is, the truth is, a lot of us are raised in, in the church, but we're not raised in Christ. We're raised in, on hymns, but we're not raised in him. And so Paul says, I don't really care. I'm in jail, but God is using that to advance the gospel. So whether they're preaching for true motives or false motives, it it doesn't really matter. I rejoice. Now you think about that. What would your attitude be if you were in that same situation? And and that would would you would you like to be wearing chains? Would you be thankful you were in prison? Would you be thankful that other preachers are preaching and kind of making it bad for you? That's what he says. Are you thankful for the difficulties that you go through? That's what he's saying. I'm thankful for partnership, and I'm thankful even to be in prison. Here's number three. I'm thankful for your prayers and God's provision. Both things he mentions in this prayer. Look at verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. You see how many times he's using that word rejoice? For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. And for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We all have struggles. Sometimes those struggles bring shame in people's lives. Let me give you an example. 
uh, a friend of mine, uh, no one knows who this is, uh, they post it, it, they live in a different state. They posted on social media just this last week uh, a little transparency they write. I try not to talk too much about my anxiety. There's a lot of people who struggle with anxiety and worry and struggle and depression, things like that. I, I try not to talk too much about my anxiety because, because I'm not ashamed of it. But then in parentheses they write, okay, sometimes I am. And you see, sometimes things that we struggle with, we are ashamed of. I just don't want it to be my focus, and that's hard. What's our attitude when we go through tough times? I saw this quote that I thought, man, if you don't walk away with anything else in this sermon, walk away with this. His name is Johnny Joey Jones. He's a retired Marine. He lost both legs and suffered other serious injuries while fighting in Afghanistan. And this is what he said. People ask how I stay so positive after losing my legs. And I simply ask how they stay so negative with theirs. Like, wow. Isn't that the truth? Sometimes we have rotten attitudes because we have hard circumstances. But our attitude is, it's the last freedom anybody can take from us. And if we choose joy, if we choose positive, like the Apostle Paul did, then, then good things are going to happen. Look, look verse, verse 21 is the key. Mark that in your Bibles. Say, uh, uh, look, look at this. Say it with me. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's say it again so we get it. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's why the Apostle Paul had such a good attitude, because it really didn't matter what happened in life. It didn't matter the circumstances, whether it's, it's prison or whether for us it's a anxiety or worry or cancer or whatever it is, what we struggle with, uh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's why he's saying he couldn't lose either way. Look at what he goes on to say, verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. You know what he's saying here? You know, if I die, it is going to be gain. But if I live, it's going to be for Christ. And what he chooses right here, he says, I choose to keep on fighting. I choose to keep on preaching. I choose to keep on being with you so we can continue to grow together. Did the apostle Paul go through some really tough stuff? Yes, but he stayed faithful to his church. He stayed faithful to his friendships and his relationships, his partnership. He says, I'm going to stay with you, and I'm going to fight with you. No bottom line. It is our choice what we choose. Uh, look at the screen again. How would you fill in this blank? To live is Christ. What would you put in that blank? For me to live is my work. For me to live is basketball, football, the Super Bowl. For me to live is my family, my children, my wife, my husband. What would you put in that blank? For me to live is money. The Apostle Paul, the secret to joy was, for me to live is Christ. And it doesn't really matter what happens. But we don't see it. Because sometimes we just see that big poster, and even though it's hidden in there, we just can't see it. Unless we really focus on Christ. I have another friend, preacher friend, He's just been diagnosed with colon cancer, and really the outcome doesn't, doesn't look real good. 
He's been through several rounds of chemo now. Um, And just this last week, here's what he posted on social media. He says this, life is difficult, but nothing you faced or are facing is too difficult for him. His grace is sufficient for you, and his power is made perfect in your weakness. Here's a man in life and death battle with cancer. He says, you know, his grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. Then he posted this. Now faith is confident in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You see, sometimes we look at that magic eye and we just can't see. But faith will keep us there. For me to live is Christ. His joy, I believe, started with his thankfulness. He was thankful for his partnership. He was thankful even for being in prison. He was thankful for his, uh, their prayers and for God's provision. And then he comes to this conclusion, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as for the faith, as one for the faith of the gospel. And when we have that, we're going to have joy. Let's pray. God Almighty, I pray that everyone in this room just absolutely, absolutely be filled with joy. The only way they're really going to be filled with joy is that they be filled with Jesus Christ. Father, I know that life becomes so so uh, complicated, so busy, so blurred, that sometimes we can't see Christ in the middle of that. But oh, when we do, you will fill us with joy and joy unspeakable. And I pray that you do that for every single one of us in this room, especially for those who may be struggling with depression or anxiety or worry or, or some of the struggles of life. God, help them to know that by faith we will live of the assurance of things that we can't really even see. God, in what we know, we know that you'll fill us with that joy. Help us to be filled so much with joy that when we go out of this place, people see it on our face, in our smile, in our eyes, in our life, in our actions, in our kindness. And they just take note These people have been with Jesus. Father, fill us with that kind of joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's be standing as we sing.